0: And Welcome to the third episode of the Echo of the Thunder, a podcast about the history and politics of Irish Republicanism. Before we begin, just a quick update on forthcoming episodes. Yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the killing of official IRA staff captain Joe McCann as he fled an RUC arrest unarmed. British paratrooper backup unit shot Joe McCann in the back as he made his escape through the markets area of Belfast and his family has been fighting for justice ever since. Uh, Only last year, in fact, a court case in which two paras was to stand accused of the murder collapsed in court. And after his death, McCann became an icon in the canon of Republican martyrs. I actually wrote um, a lengthy piece about his life, politics, um, and the death and afterlife of Joe McCann on my website. It's called The Life, Death and Meaning of Joe McCann, and you can read that at echoandthunder.substack.com. I'm also going to be providing an audio-only special bonus episode of the podcast Uh, that's going to be exclusively for Patreon subscribers, Um, and that's actually going to be me reading out that article in full for those that uh, maybe don't have the uh, attention span or time to sit and read a full long read. Um, So that'll be released for Patreon subscribers only between now and the release of our next episode, so do look out for that. Uh, I'm also really happy to announce that um, the next episode um, will be myself and Brian Hanley discussing Joe McCann, the early years of the troubles, the IRA and Sinn Féin splits of 1969 and 1970, uh, and the state of republicanism in general in the early years of the conflict. Uh, Brian, as I'm sure many of you will know from his uh, appearances on various different podcasts and his writing, is an associate professor of modern history at Trinity College Dublin and the author of what is, in my estimation and the estimation of many other Irish history scholars, a real classic of Irish history writing, which is The Lost Revolution, the story of the official IRA and the Workers' Party. So again, keep an eye out for that too, because I promise you, you'll not want to miss that. For today's episode, though, I thought it would be appropriate, given that last week marked the anniversary of the founding of the Second Spanish Republic, and this Easter weekend um, Irish Republicans will be conducting their annual commemorations of the Easter Rising, uh, to welcome Uma Oroge López to the show. Uma is a fellow contributor to Red Pepper and Jacobin Magazine, and is a Catalan writer and historian whose undergraduate thesis focused on Irish involvement in the Spanish Civil War, which is also the topic of today's discussion. Uma is currently completing an MA, focusing on conflict and war studies, and she's also written articles on the 1936 Socialist Olympics for Red Pepper, and a further piece on Irish involvement in the International Brigades in Spain for Peace, Land and Bread magazine. Um, I think having Uma on today and Brian in the next show is uh, probably a pretty good summation of what my policy is going to be with contributors for this podcast uh, as we move forward. Um, As well as established names within the academic study of Irish history, I also want to give a platform to younger writers and historians who are just starting out in terms of their research and their ideas. And hopefully I'd also like to broaden this focus to include the voices of activists, former combatants and prisoners of war, and as many voices from within the Republican community itself as I can manage. I've got some plans afoot at the minute on that front um, and I'll let you know all about that as soon as they're finalised. Until then, be sure to subscribe to the Patreon to support the show. You can do that at paypal.com forward slash Daniel Baker, And you can also support the show by subscribing to the Substack blog that I mentioned previously at echoandthunder.substack.com. That's where all my writing and blog posts, as well as the episodes of this podcast live. And... As of today, all the episodes will be going out on all the major podcast platforms as well. Um, So if you can't find it anywhere, just give us a shout, send me an email. Um, You can find the contact details um, on the blog and I'll try and get that updated. But it should be out on everything from now. So without further ado, this is myself and Uma Arugate Lopez in conversation. Enjoy. Well, um, we may as well start um, by um, the first thing I wanted to ask you was, obviously, today we're going to be talking about Irish involvement in the Spanish Civil War. Um, this is something that you've written fairly extensively on. Um, and the first thing that I wanted to do, I know it's difficult, um, but um, I presume a lot of listeners that I have to this podcast will already be aware of um, the basic, um, the basic uh, sort of... Um, uh, background to the Spanish Civil War, but if you could maybe just give us an overview, a brief overview of the background to the Spanish Civil War, why the conflict breaks out, um, and a little bit of context uh, for the, uh, the start of the, uh, the war in general.
1: Yeah, so, so in, you know, in April 1931, uh, a republic was proclaimed in Spain, right, in a second republic, so it was a second Spanish republic, uh, you know the king had to leave etc cetera, etc cetera. and obviously not everybody was happy with that especially when uh you know the more leftist or progressive government started to introduce or try to introduce some reforms that would take away some rights from you know, for example the church or uh big landowners or you know richer people <laughs> and uh you know, other leftist governments were wo- voted in, and then uh, actual coalition of right-wing governments, like uh, sorry, parties, were voted into government. Um, that's when the political climate kind of started to change, and everything was more polarized. So, you know, anarchists or the left became more radical and also the right became way more radical as well and in february 1936 el frente popular which was um, a coalition of left-wing parties was voted into power and what happened with that coalition is that it was you know how in the left we can never (laughs) like agree with something right so that was like in that uh coalition you had you know very radical anarchists or or communists and with more moderate social democrats or liberals um but even then the right wing part of society or you know far right part of society wasn't happy with that and i can't like this part of the um, the army, the Spanish army, started a conspiracy. Started uh, talking about overthrowing this government, especially because they also wanted to. Um, well, this this see, this group was also like they couldn't agree really what they actually wanted because some of them were just straight up fascists. And they wanted to implement a fascist government, but some of them simply didn't want a leftist government. Others wanted to put the king back in power, et cetera, et cetera. But the main goal was to overthrow this um, this government. right? So Franco, who would be the leader of this um, group of people, at first wasn't even involved in that, which is pretty, uh, interesting considering how he you know ended up being the dictator of Spain but at first he wasn't really involved with that but after um you know anarchists started assassinating uh politicians right-wing politicians which by the way obviously uh the fascists were also assassinating uh politicians it's not like but he saw that and was like okay I'm in and then in the on the 17th of July 1936 uh, the coup d'état started so it started in like the African colonies of Spain, which are in the north of Africa and Morocco, that's where Franco was, because he was a key player in this, because he had control over the colonial army of Africa, who were basically elite fighters, uh, especially the the white soldiers that had been fighting the colonial wars, because they had been trained in such, like, uh, you know, dehumanizing uh, wars and they were very brutal, very very brutal. So they really needed those people. And the coup that started there it was immediately successful. Um, and then on the 18th of July 1936, it um, started in the in the peninsula, in the Spanish peninsula. And what happened was that they actually thought it would be successful. So they didn't want a a war, a civil war. They just—they truly believed that it would be immediately successful, and that they would just, you know, be able to take over, change the government, do whatever they wanted. But they didn't want a war. But turns out that you know the reaction was more fierce than they actually anticipated, and that's when the Spanish Civil War actually started.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean. There's a few things that that's uh, that's brought up there that I want to touch on, and one thing that always strikes me um, in terms of I think in terms of the public knowledge of the conflict outside of Spain anyway um, is the absolute brutality of the, uh, the of the fascist forces when they are suppressing um, uh, you know um, every locale that they go into. I mean the march up from the south um, is yeah. one of the most horrific. Um, um, examples of this you know whole entire towns are subjected to this um you know um uh, complete brutalization you know w- women being forced to drink um castor oil having their head shaved paraded through the streets yes. um you know men, men being lined up and shot um you know there's there's this weird thing i think um outside of spain where we almost have this like preposterous kind of hierarchy of dictators um and it's oh you know, hitler mussolini and then franco is kind of down here he wasn't that bad yeah. you know um yeah. which anyone who studied this for even you know, just a a, a few moments can see it is nonsense. But um, I think if we could talk a little bit as well about, um, this is something that that Paul Preston writes a lot about, to give people an idea of um, the sort of fascist ideology when it came to targeting those those sort of, um, uh, those to the left of centre, you know, everything from mild liberals towards like, you know, socialists, anarchists and communists. Um, There is something embedded within, or becomes embedded within Spanish fascism, which is this idea of like the red gene you know, this idea that there is almost like a biological kind of component um, uh, to this, and, 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 and that you know, the, the, the working class um, you know, uh, Spanish people are, are turned towards this um, you know, regime by a bi- biological imperative that's this Judeo-Bolshevik you know, conspiracy. So now, I don't know if you could maybe talk a little bit about that before we move on to the specifics of the Irish involvement.
1: Yeah, so I actually, um, for one of my classes this last semester, I, uh, it was colonial, it's, it was called colonial violence, I actually wrote an essay on like the colonial aspect of the Spanish Civil War, which obviously it wasn't a colonial war. But um, because of the fact that Franco was the leader of the colonial army, it did kind of have a colonial aspect. And because of the whole thing with like the reds, the regime, the other, like, you know, they are subhuman, they're worse than us. And, um, but yeah, the repression was brutal. And during the civil war, and obviously after as well. And the fact that, you know, for example, Mola, general Mola, which was one of the um, you know, main officers in the conflict with Capo de Llano and Franco, and Mola was the one that carried out the brutal assassinations in the north, while you know Capo de Llano was in the south. And Mola would say in his speeches, like, you know, we must sow terror, we must showcase the sense of dominance by eliminating those who do not think like us, you know, without hesitation. And I, Paul Preston um, quotes that a lot in his books, and especially in um, the Spanish Holocaust, which I really enjoyed. Um, and I think it truly does showcase how, how horrible it was. And I remember this... Um, this German professor I had who was really upset <laughs> that the book was called "The Spanish Holocaust." yeah I know <laughs> he was really upset about that, but also like I we did a, a presentation in his class about the different kind of violences in the Spanish civil War how um, you know the left that the violence carried out by the left was more sporadic was more um random in a way. And it was, you know, the elites of the left were like, please don't do that. While in the right, it was the other, it was completely opposite. It was encouraged and it was systematic. And when we talked about the victims of that systematic violence of the right or of Franco side, my professor was like, oh, but that's not that much. (laughs) Oh, but you know, more more German soldiers died in like I said, in Stalingrad, and I was like, oh, yeah. and? <laughs>
0: I, I, I mean, it's, that, that's, that's a really good example, I think, um, um, of, of this kind of bizarre hierarchy that, that, that we give these things. I mean, I think it's understandable on, on one level, because of course, you know, of, of course, we, we have the Holocaust to associate with the, with the Nazis and the industrialised slaughter um, of, you know, an entire people. So I, I can understand it in a sense, but I think it's really vital that people understand just how brutal Franco was and just how brutal the nationalists were. Um, So thank you for that. Um, So we've established a little bit about the outbreak of the war. So let's get to the sort of crux of what we're going to be talking about today, which is Irish involvement. So what's the reaction like in Ireland to the outbreak of the civil war? Um, And maybe it might help, I don't know, to break it down into, you know, the reaction of the establishment, the church, the media, um, and then maybe the popular response as well.
1: Yeah, so one of the main things that... Um the, the right or you know Franco side. But at first it wasn't Franco's side when it started. It he did establish himself as um head of state on the 1st of October 1936. So when it started, he wasn't like the leader. But when news reached uh, Ireland, the thing is that Franco was a Catholic. That was his whole thing, right? So that's why. Um, his fascism is a bit different than that of Mussolini or uh, Hitler because he was really supported by the church. And one of his main things was that he was a Catholic. So of course, Ireland was and still is mainly a Catholic society. And so the reaction was that by everybody. Well, not everybody, but by most of the population and the government was that, you know, hey, the leftists, the anarchists, the communists are slaughtering um, nuns. They're raping nuns. They're, you know, burning churches. They're burning pictures of Jesus and all of that. So it was like um, they were anti-Catholic. They were anti-religion. And that obviously did not sit well with the people and the church and the government of Ireland, which were massively Catholic. And another thing that is still talked about is how much influence the Catholic Church had in Ireland, right? So the Catholic Church, the priests in during mass, they were saying, look what they're doing in Spain and look at Franco and his men that are trying to save religion and are trying to save the nuns and, and you know, the priests and their, because one of the things that Franco did very well is that he um, publicized his war as a crusade. So it was a crusade against the Reds, a crusade against the left, the anti-clerical, anti-church, anti-establishment left, right? So they basically believed all that. In Ireland, mostly. Um, so yeah, that was basically the the reaction of most of the people in Ireland. And then the church we have, we don't have, we sadly don't have like transcripts of you know priests in mass or what they were actually saying in in their speeches. However, we do have. There were these kind of like religious pamphlets that they would sell um, they were really cheap and very easily um, acquired by by the people and in those in those pamphlets they basically invented um, what was happening with the the churches and the nuns and the priests in in, in Spain so there's this let me see if I can find it because I have my dissertation here <laughs> just to help me. But um, yeah, they, they, were, they invented these tales and there was this this um, kinda article kind of thing that was that the Republicans were drinking the blood of nuns like they were vampires. You know, and obviously they had to be stopped because what is that depravity? What what are they doing down there? You know, and in the Catholic Church, they would also say like, you know, everyone who supports the Spanish government, because like Franco, they put all the left in just one little group, Mm -hmm. which was also the government. Right, so they were saying, "Oh, if you support the Spanish government, you're supporting church burning and you know the slaughter of priests and killing all these innocent people, these men and women of faith." Which it did happen at the start of the war. If that's true. That cannot be denied. That especially anarchists would um, kill priests or nuns, or because for so long the church, the Catholic Church, had been such an oppressive force in Spain. So when, you know, the Civil War started and they saw that the church was mainly on the side of Franco or like, you know, the Francoist forces, they did start killing priests or nuns who, you know, individually were obviously innocent. Um, but these pamphlets and these priests in Ireland, they would obviously just um, exaggerating completely the tales that were coming from um from
0: Spain yeah, and then, sorry, yeah. No, no, no. sorry yeah yeah I, I, <laughs> no, I, I was just gonna say it reminds that there's a parallel there I think um with um with early history in Ireland in particular I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of um you know um of, of, of when Cromwell um goes to Ireland um and you know part of the um the uh, the justification for massacres like Drogheda um and, and things like that are these pamphlets that are being put out by um, you know these quite um Quite um, extreme anti-Catholic um, sort of organisations within um, within uh, England at the time, saying that you know um, that uh, you know in uh, in 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 a Catholic island, you know, um, uh, Protestant babies are torn from uh, the, the wombs of mothers and impaled on sticks and that kind of thing. You know, um, so there's yeah. obviously a kind of a, a, a pretty pretty you know horrific a uh, uh, parallel there. Yeah. Um, so another thing that you might have been about to come on to mention this, I'm, I'm not sure, but one of the things that I think in your writing, um, is, uh, I found quite interesting is, um, you touched on it there, but there's a kind of dual public and private role of the church in this regard. You know, the public support for the, the Spanish fascist is maybe expressed during mass, and then you might get private condemnation of the Spanish Republic, you know, given to church during, during confession, um, um, as well. Um, so, um, I don't know if you want to maybe mention something a bit more about that or.
1: Yeah. So They, when you know O'Duffy, Owen O'Duffy, started recruiting men to go fight for Franco in Ireland, in Spain, sorry, and priests were there's there's testimonies of some of the men who went to Spain that said that you know priests would encourage them uh, during confession to go to Spain to help the church and to you know uh, fight against the Republic because. That would be an amazing way to atone for their sins because they would definitely then go to you know if they were there literally fighting for the church then they would definitely go to to heaven if if they happen to die but yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they definitely pay like they had a really um important role in that for sure
0: <laughs> definitely definitely I mean people today might you know p- people in sort of like um, uh, slightly more sort of secularized um, uh, sort of countries or traditions might 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 find that all, almost laughable um, you know these days but it, it's important like you said to remember the, the absolute hold um, that the catholic church had on the social and cultural life of so many people in, in Ireland at that time um, yeah. So before we come on to the formation of the of the Connolly column and the Irish anti-fascist involvement in Spain, we've mentioned there briefly Naeona um, O'Duffy. So um, let, let's briefly address the formation of the Irish Brigade under his leadership, um, because they're a product of, you know, by this point in his life, O'Duffy is a committed fascist, I would say. Um, yeah. He's, you know, a convinced proponent of fascism. He's first joined the Irish Volunteers in 1917. You know, he, um, he becomes, um, uh, he rises to the directorship of the army in around, um, I think, March of of um, 1921 you know he's made the commander of the ira's second northern division he's done all these things you know by 1922 he's even the Garda commissioner um and then by 33 he's founded something called the army comrades associations fully embraced this this fascist politics and he found the blue shirts um and then also finds time to um you know be one of the joint founders of finnegale before he leaves for spain so um that's that's o'duffy but what kind of rank and file members um is o'duffy attracting to the irish brigade and, and what are their politics
1: Right. So oof, that's a very uh, difficult question, actually. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's a big <laughs> no, because,
1: one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's a big one. No, because that was one of my the points of my dissertation, right? Because when I found out that more Irishmen had um had fought for Franco than against Franco in the Spanish Civil War, I was like, okay, you know, why? <laughs> and were they were they all fascist or, or why did they go there? So so a few of them were obviously fascist, but I would say mainly they were Catholic, right? So, you know, all fascists are Catholic, but not all Catholics are fascists. Um, That's mainly what I found because, you know, in my research, I even found a guy from Dublin. I forgot his name. I don't even think his name is actually mentioned, but he was actually, you know, a socialist. And he was a socialist but he was such a catholic that he felt that he had to go there and fight for the church because that was basically what they were sold it was it was for the church it wasn't for fascism it wasn't for franco himself it was for the church even though obviously on odolfi was a fascist and he uh, obviously wanted franco to win because franco was a fascist but the men that went with him, I would say mainly they were Catholic, most of them, and then others, then maybe were just you know apolitical or whatever. <laughs> <But>, yes
0: <Yeah. laughs> you know. Because I mean, I mean, in your writing, you sort of mentioned that O'Duffy specifically tried to appeal to the faith of his recruits. Um, you know, and the, the political sort of aspect of it was kind of subsumed in many ways by, by faith. I mean, um, I suppose um, you know, there's a certain reading of the relationship between you know, politics and religion that states that they're essentially inseparable from each other. Um, but, you know, so what he's doing there is kind of um, he, he's obviously drawing on some kind of, uh, of distinction. And like you say, um, if, if someone's going over there to fight on, with O'Duffy that's, you know, a self-proclaimed socialist, That 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 is interesting and shows you again, like the, the primacy um, um, of religion there. Yeah. Um, so famously, <laughs> um, you know, or somewhat infamously, the Irish Brigade's contributions when they get to Spain are negligible, to say the least. Um, they, uh, My understanding of this is that they scarcely see any actual fighting. Um, they're plagued by kind of, um, you know, um, a, a drunkenness. They're disorganised. Um, you know, um, I believe O'Duffy actually, um, basically when he was um, sort of negotiating um, uh, for them to come over with, uh, with Spanish fascist leadership, he essentially um, uh, uh, oversold them. He said these men were much more experienced than they were. He said they were much more sort of um, uh, uh, used to, um, you know, um, 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 fighting this kind of war than they were. And that wasn't really the case. So tell us a little bit about um, what the Irish Brigade's contributions to the nationalist uh, uh, fascist forces were in Spain.
1: So nothing. I mean, well, first of all, Franco didn't even like Owen O'Duffy, which was really funny, like reading about it, it was just, yeah, so Owen O'Duffy, he traveled to Spain to talk to Franco about, you know, about these amazing, really brave Irish soldiers that he was uh, bringing over, and then Franco didn't even meet with him, it was Mola. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they actually met, Franco was just like, yeah, sure, sure. OK, cool. Um, just come like we need all the help that we can get. Just just come here. Um, but Mola also didn't like Odofi uh, at all. And then Mola <laughs> said that, you know, oh, they should fight with the Requetes who were like this uh, Carles soldiers, which the, car- the Carles were super catholic um soldiers that wanted this specific king to be king not like the Bourbon that we we have now (laughs) Um, but so because it was like you know they're all catholic they're really catholic they will get along and they they can share that ideology and even though obviously mola was also a catholic but you know the carlis are known for really really you know dying for god and all of that But then Franco um, said that it was better if they were with his army, like the the African army, colonial army, which was the biggest mistake because the African army, as I said, they were elite soldiers. They were very, very brutal and very, very brave as well because they had been trained, um, you know, during colonial wars, they had been trained to die for Spain no matter what because you know, they could do whatever. They could be as brutal as they wanted. And then, but because they were dying for Spain, they would still go to heaven. So they were really, really brutal, really elite um, forces. And then obviously, Owen Adolfi's men were just not at all. They were, they had never trained. Um, some of them maybe had, were veterans of the Irish Civil War, but, you know, it was a different, totally different style of of fighting it wasn't it wasn't the same at all, so their contribution was basically none they they were while they were in in their um, base, they would just get drunk, really really drunk on you know spanish wine and what I thought was really funny was that you know when I was doing research, apparently the locals the Spanish locals were really shocked at how much these people drank because they were supposed to be Catholics, right? And like, you know, Catholics shouldn't be drinking this much and behaving like that. And they were really shocked at at what they were seeing because they were also Catholics, right? Um, But yeah, and then when they were sent to take this hill that was, there were this elite communist force taking this hill and they sent the, the Irishmen. And when they were on their way there, they started fighting with other uh, nationalist Francoist forces, because the other forces thought that they were, because they heard them speak English, they were like, oh, it's International Brigade. And they just started shooting at each other. And that was the first time they saw action when they were fighting their own side. So it was just like it, they were a mess. Yeah. <laughs> they were honestly a
0: mess. <laughs> I think it's um I think it's quite funny that you mention um sort of Franco's personal distaste for for O'Duffy as well um because um in a lot of the reading that I that, that I've done and this is quite a few years ago now um there's a sense that um you know Franco almost occupies that position in the relationship with Hitler and Mussolini um no. in the, <laughs> it, it, you know in in the sense that I think there's a famous there's a famous photo of I think Hitler and um and Franco together. And I think it's either doctored or it's that they'd literally just met for the photo. Um, and actually pre, prior to that, Frank had been dealing with, you know, some of Hitler's underlings um, 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 instead because Hitler just didn't consider him, you know, worthy of uh, uh, so There's a kind of real um, uh, kind of um, that, that was quite interesting to me, I think, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've, we've covered the disastrous, uh, the disastrous role that the Irish Brigade played in the, uh, in the Nationalist forces. So, Um, At this stage, it might sort of help us, I guess, to get an idea of where Irish Republicanism is at uh, um, during this time. Um, So, um, you know, I'm thinking about the reaction from the range of groups who identify as Republican at that time. So, you know, to give people some context at this point, you know, um, you know, um, uh, you know, organizations, um, you know, such as um, Fine Gael would still very much consider themselves like, you know, Republicans somehow. Um, But obviously there's a broader um, uh, sort of range of extra parliamentary Republicans. who who still exist. Um, I'm thinking in in particular here, there's the response of an organization like um, the Republican Congress, but when that is formed, um, you know, a group of Irish men travel to Spain to defend the republic. They're drawn to fight fascism because they're committed to socialism. They've got a desire to build a communist movement in Ireland um, that would realize, you know, the workers' republic that Conley envisaged. Um, Many of these anti-fascist socialists are, you know, um, uh, are drawn from the Republican Congress, which is a breakaway from the anti-Treaty IRA formed in 1934, you've got people like um, Martin Price, um, who was, I think, a director of training for the IRA at one point. Pedro O'Donnell, who goes on to write um, Salou, a memoir based on this time in Spain, and also um, George Gilmore, uh, Gilmore rather, who writes a pamphlet on the Republican Congress, which um, the name of this podcast actually comes from. Uh, uh, he uses the line "the echo of the thunder" in there, and then probably most famously, you've got people like Frank Ryan, who people, if they've never heard anything else about this subject, might know from being referenced um, um, uh, by the Pogues. Um, or in Christy Moore's track, Viva la Quinta Brigada. Um, so tell us a little bit about the significance of um, of the group that clusters around the Republican Congress and, and their attempts to combine republicanism uh, with Marxism and how that leads to the establishment of the Conley column.
1: Yeah, so, well, as you said, they were a group that basically um, departed from the anti-treaty IRA, right? Because they believed that they wanted to create a kind of IRA that truly followed James Connolly's um, Marxist ideals, and to establish an actual, you know, Marxist republic, republic or communist republic. And so they, you know, they were working closely with the Communist Party of Ireland. You know, with Sean Murray, with um, with uh, Bill Gannon as well. And what I find interesting is that obviously they knew about the Spanish Civil War and what was going on there. But what really pushed them to go there was Bill Scott. So Bill Scott was a communist and he was in Spain when, well, he was in Barcelona, in fact, when the Coup d'État happened, the Alzamiento happened, because he wanted to see the popular Olympics that were going to take place in Barcelona. And they never took place because of the coup d'etat. And he was there when that happened. And he immediately joined the fight against the rebels. And he he was really good friends with Sean Murray, who was the uh, chair of the Communist Party of Ireland at the time, right? And once he joined the actual fight, so the actual war kind of war effort at first he joined the uh the um, british like battalion the thomas Mann centuria and but he was really mad that he had to join them <laughs> because he was irish and apparently like according to michael oriordan um, he told the Catalan recruiter that you know that to make sure that he wrote that he was Irish and not British, but obviously the Catalan recruiter was like, I don't know what you're talking. I can barely speak English, you know. Like, <laughs> and then he he joined the Ernst Tailman Battalion, and then he went to um, Madrid to fight, and he wrote these letters to Sean Murray, um, that were published in their in the coming like CPIs. Um, newspaper which which was the Irish workers voice or something like that and yeah and he would write about all the death that he was seeing basically all the innocent children that were dying at the hands of the fascists and of you know the yeah so he says that you know um yeah so he he sent a letter to Sean Murray just said that, you know, I saw the mutilated bodies of children wedged between heavy beams, um, you know, women and children from the burning pile, you know, so these very vivid images of what was actually going on in Spain that were not shown in other newspapers because the other newspapers were mainly focusing on, you know, the dead priests and nuns and or on the other side. And so... With these letters, what Scott did is that he just basically triggered more action from these people in the Republican Congress because they were like, okay, we we can send money there. And we they did actually um, create like a pro-Republican Spanish medical aid committee, but they were also not getting many funds from the people of Ireland because they were sending money to the other side, right? So... The people from the Republican Congress, um, especially Frank Ryan and and um, these like more uh, veteran soldiers of the Republican Congress, decided to that they actually had to go to um, to Spain to fight. And Bill, Bill Gallon, who was uh, also a popular ex IRA veteran, he and member of the CPI, he became the organizer of, you know, the logistics and the recruitment of, of these Irishmen in Spain.
0: Yeah, so, um, I mean, you you mentioned there, obviously, the, uh, the, um, the, this idea that they go there, they're put in um, a brigade where they're having to take orders from, from, uh, you know, Englishmen, which is obviously, you know, not, not to their liking. Um, But other than that, What's the kind of what's the makeup of the volunteers in terms of is are these young people? You've mentioned we've got people like Frank Ryan, um, you know, um uh, older people as well there, but are, are there younger people that are, that are coming through here as well, or is this mainly veterans of um, you know, um the uh, the war of independence and the uh, the civil war?
1: No, there's there's all ages basically. Um there's this this kid, basically, Tommy Woods. Um he's mentioned actually in the song by uh Christy Moore. Yeah. Uh, Quinta Briada, yeah. Um, he was 17 year old, years old only when he went to Spain. And he actually sadly died there in Córdoba uh, when he was 17 years old. And he was from Dublin. And according to Michael Hori- Oriordan, when he left for Spain, when he um, you know, got into the Connolly column, he wrote this letter to his mom that said that he was going to fight for the working class and that this wasn't a religious war that which was what they were saying you know in the church and the newspapers um but yeah i believe he was the youngest one um mm. i mean he was just a kid but then they were all ages really like frank ryan must have been one of the oldest mm. at the time
0: yeah probably yeah and um, in terms of the military involvement, um, we, talk, we, we talked about how much of a disaster uh, the Irish Brigade's contributions were. W- what about the Conley column? Um, what's their contribution to the Republican war effort? Whereabouts are they fighting and what is the experience of warfare like for them?
1: So they actually, they were involved in all the major battles throughout the the war. They, The first man of the or like the original chronic column got there, which were around forty men uh, led by Frank ryan. They got there in december in december nineteen thirty six so you know pretty soon after the outbreak, a few months after the outbreak of the civil war, and they left in september nineteen thirty eight which was when um, the president of the Spanish Republic said that they wanted all the foreigners to leave because you know they saw that they were losing the war and they didn't want to be responsible for these all these men anymore <laughs> and especially because you know the whole Hitler uh, basically threatening a second world war and all of that. But yeah, so they were there for a long time and they were involved in all the major fighting. Uh, throughout the war. So at first they were put with, again, with the British. Um, And as I said, at first there were only 40, but many others joined from, many Irishmen joined from other places of the world, like the United States or Australia or other places that they had to leave to because, you know, maybe political reasons because of the Irish Civil War, or even, you know, just for work or something like that. But they were still, you know, first-generation Irishmen that that went back, to, went to Spain for, for this. Um, okay, so let me see, because they were involved in so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, boop, 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 boop. Yeah, so, yeah. So they were, they were at first um, put with the other English speaking people, mainly British people at the time. It was the main English speaking brigade, which, you know, now is called the 15th International Brigade, which is in the song by Christy Moore, which actually, by the way, the title is wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think think everyone just loves the song so much that none of us want to say it, but it's true.
1: (laughs) I know, I know, like, hey, I respect him, but as a Spanish speaker, I'm like, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, by all means, go ahead, like, write that linguistic injustice. Tell us why it's wrong.
1: Oh, because he's saying Quinta Brigada, which means the Fifth Brigade, (laughs) and it's the 15th, so, but... To be fair, it doesn't make sense in a song. It would be like quinceava brigada. So it's like, it just doesn't. Like, (laughs) I don't think he could even pronounce that, to be honest. But yeah, sorry. Let's go (laughs) back to (laughs) to the important uh, topic. Um, Yeah, so at first they were mainly with the British. And their commander was um, Captain George Nathan, who was actually a British Army veteran. And obviously, many of the Irishmen were not happy, especially because they found out that George Nathan had been uh, black and tan and they had killed, he had killed two Sinn Féin members in 1920. So obviously, that didn't sit well with the Irishmen who basically had just fought the Irish uh, Civil War uh, or, you know, the Irish War of Independence. And um there was a bit of um, trouble with that. But it, what's funny is that, you know, Frank Ryan being this IRA man, being this very pro-Irish independence and, you know, even Gaelic speaker, he actually became friends with George Nathan. Mm. But also because he thought that, you know, obviously his Irishness meant a lot to him, but he... Wanted to put that pass in to fight for what was important at that time, which was um, international solidarity or you know communist solidarity, Marxist solidarity. So he actually you know wrote and talked to to the Irishmen on New Year in a New Year statement um, a month and something after they arrived in Spain, saying that you know we. I understand your feelings, but for the sake of the people of Spain and the success of the fight against fascism, we should just be together and not fight our own, you know? Because at the end of the day, George Nathan was there with them fighting fascism. You know, he wasn't back home. Um, and then also uh, I think Kate Conway, who was also a very respected, um IRA man mm. he was also sympathetic to Nathan to George Nathan and wanted the man to just put that aside basically however that didn't happen um, I'm sure you you know about the about the vote that they all held mm. to to see if they they were still in the um, in the British battalion or not but I think that's that's way after it's it's in the middle of fighting actually that that happened so they send Frank Ryan away and while he was away they, they did the vote <laughs> it yeah. <was> like oh. <laughs> so he, he came back and he was like what the hell yeah <laughs>
0: like... <laughs> yeah because because d- d- didn't doesn't Ryan go actually goes back to Ireland briefly to recuperate and then and then again and then comes back to Spain is that correct or
1: Yeah, so he was wounded. Um, He was wounded, I think, twice even Mm. uh, during the whole war. And one time he was in Ireland, yeah. And then, but he came back. But also, they would send him away sometimes to help other units or Mm. just because he was such a good um, speaker and also motivator, he was sent to, you know, the headquarters to just write and talk about what was going on during the war. But he, whenever he could, he wanted to be fighting with, with his men. Mm. It, he was not like Owen Adolfi at all, you know, Owen Adolfi. He was basically just travelling through Spain with the elite, and, you know, he never even saw action. I mean, his men barely saw action, but mm. he just, like, didn't at all. So Frank Ryan was, like, the complete opposite
0: mm. to mm. that. And, and, and while Adolfi's not seeing any of this action, you know, the... Uh, uh, the, the, the the colony column, of the Irish element they are fighting in battles like you know the, the battle of your uh, um, armor and stuff you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. like um, the thing about the Irishmen is that they weren't in total. they were never really a lot of men. there were 247 mm-hmm. men. Um, and as I said some some came a bit later, some had to leave or you know died in battle. So there were never really a big amount of Irishmen or first-generation Irishmen um, at the same time in the battlefield, but they were there for everything mm. at the same time. We have testimonies, you know, of, of uh, you know, Jarama of which is like the m- main one that people um, remember, but also uh, Ebro as well, or Badajoz, or they were truly everywhere and that's mm. why they also um took a lot of losses because you know they were sent everywhere and they were really good fighters as well mm.
0: Mm. so um we've got about 15 minutes left so I'm, i've got maybe two or three questions that i'm, I'm going to try and fit in here but before the end so um let's talk we've mentioned frank ryan a lot he's undoubtedly one of the most I think one of the most captivating um and um you know um for, for many people um, are controversial figures um in Irish history not speaking for yeah. myself there I think he's pretty straightforwardly heroic <laughs> um but you know um, <laughs> there, there, there are those who disagree and that's largely because you know about what happens to him um you know um at, at the end of the war so let's talk about his his fate here so he's he's captured by Franco's um I think it, Franco's Italian fascist allies capture him yeah. um yeah. I, I think in, in uh, around sort of the 19th, 19, March 1938 I think um and then afterwards, yeah, okay. So he he sort of he you know he's displayed this incredible leadership, um, and he, he continues to do that um, upon his arrest. You know, um, I think he, he sort of um, uh, he's quite belligerent when he's arrested um yeah. he um you know he, um, he, he sort of he, he he stands up and he takes ownership um that he is the leader of these men um you know putting himself at a huge risk of like you know be, be, being shot instantly pretty much but it's considered that he's um you know uh, better used um as sort of um uh, as a kind of a, a make weight uh kind of figure so um actually what happens to him in the end is that he's handed over to the, uh, the abwehr which is the nazi military intelligence agency and obviously famously dies in germany under their supervision so how does he end up dying there in Germany um, and then um, what about this accusation that we often hear from his political opponents and the political opponents um, of uh you know um of uh, of communist republicans in Ireland and elsewhere that he was somehow engaged in collaboration with the nazis when he died what, what's your analysis of that
1: well I think it's a lie <laughs> um I think I have the same opinion of Frank Ryan as you do. I think he's a really cool, cool person. (laughs) Um, um, As you said, like when he was captured, he never hit his rank. He was always, I'm Frank Ryan, this is my rank. Um, I'm the leader of this man. Um, They tried to make him do the fascist salute. And they were saying, oh, we're going to shoot you if you don't. And he still refused to do it. He, you know, I think he was an anti-fascist to the end. However... He spent months, if not years, in a prison in Burgos, which was overcrowded. And when the Second World War started, they the Germans discovered that this man hated uh, England or had hated England or at some point, you know, had fought England. Um, so they tried to make him work for them. However, you know, in my research, I didn't find anything that proved that he had actually collaborated with the other, or that he had, you know, given them any information on on England or or Ireland or whatever that it was. Um, and, you know, there's this recent book that is an amazing book on the Irishman in Spain um, in Spanish trenches by Emmett O'Connor and Barry McClellan. and. Even they, you know, they spent 25 years working on that book and even they didn't discover anything on Frank Ryan collaborating with the Nazis and you know and, and it's not because they're biased because honestly that book is like the most unbiased thing i've ever oh, read no, like, absolutely
0: i mean like emmett o'connor is a historian who i respect a great deal and has written um you yeah. know some, some definitive accounts of working class history in ireland but i do tend to politically disagree with him um on, on quite a few things um and yeah you're yeah, right um, yeah. they've overturned nothing you know um yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah so it's not
1: like you know it's not like they know they're like they're not like me like i'm obviously like you can you can read my stuff it's like okay this woman is obviously like a a communist or whatever but um you know so maybe i understand if people take what i say with a bit of like with a grain of salt but these two men like they've been working on this book for ages and uh i don't think they would ever agree with frank ryan (laughs) politically (laughs) no but You know, they even they said that Ryan was not a collaborator, but Mm. that he was maybe maybe even an advisor to like German foreign office experts, but not even anything. He never said anything of substance, obviously. And he actually died pretty, pretty soon after Mm. he got to Germany. So he was never of any use to the Nazis ever.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, what happens to the members of the column after they return to Ireland? You know, how are they received by wider society and what do they go on to do when they return?
1: They were actually received pretty badly. I mean, they had fought for the ones that were killing nuns and priests and wanted to end, like, the church. And many of them had to actually move to England to... um, to London to fight jobs because they just they were completely ostracized by Irish society when they got back and um, you know the Irish Brigade where O'Duffy's well, men were the one the ones that were cheered when when they got back even though obviously now we know that they weren't well obviously a lot of people then knew that that wasn't the right side of history but. It's interesting how at that time, the Colony Column were just ostracized completely. And now a lot of more people remember them than the Irish Brigade.
0: Mm-hmm. And that brings you up to my, my final question, which is um, how the Colony Column remember today, um, you know, both in Ireland, but um, also as well in um, in places like Catalonia, you know, where, where you're from. Um, and how has that changed over time?
1: So, well, over time, yes, it has changed a lot because mainly because we, you know, we had, Franco's dictatorship until kind of recently. Um, You know, my my dad grew up during his dictatorship, for example. Um, But then now I think with the help of a lot of also uh, foreign organizations like, you know, the International Brigades Memorial Trust or um, organizations like that, their memories are definitely more alive now than they were when they were right after they fought um and you know especially in Catalunya we have Michael Riordan when he came here to fight in the Battle of the Ebro he was had a Catalan flag with him while he was fighting you know and there's um according to this new book that I mentioned you know peasants were kissing the flag that he was carrying because it. He was freeing, you know, him and the others, obviously, were freeing them from uh, the Francoists. Um, so I, I saw that they actually painted, a, uh, you know, uh, there's a, a picture of that. Well, picture, obviously, uh, I forgot the name in, in English. Like, like
0: a mural? Like a painting?
1: No, no, just a, a painting, a painting, yeah. Jesus, my English. <laughs>
0: It's, uh, um, uh, um, uh, it's okay you speak like four languages I speak one it's fine <laughs> like don't don't worry <laughs>
1: yes yeah, even then I, I forget like the most random words yeah. like um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so I, they did a painting of like uh Michael Riordan with the flag in this museum that there's in Ebro I think Manu Riordan his son went mm. there to like Unveil the painting, and yeah,
0: everything. he was he was the um the head of the um or, 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 or definitely a, a huge figure in the um in the Irish section of the International Brigade's Memorial Trust, and he actually died um uh, recently as well. So um yeah, so that's a, a continued line of uh of remembrance from um his father who fought um and then him trying to keep that memory alive in in Ireland as well. um yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Okay, um um that's amazing. Thank you so much uh for being a guest on the show today. Uh, we've managed to do Thanks it in an hour, me. which is incredible Um, (laughs) so thank you so much Um, before we go can you just let people know where they can find your work where they can um uh, read your writing and what you're up to these days
1: oh god um i guess you can find everything on my tour (laughs) um and yeah i mean right now i'm not really writing anything because i'm writing my thesis so I guess stay tuned for that (laughs) when I actually (laughs) manage to complete it at some point. Um, But yeah, I guess just um, my tour really. I don't. I don't have anything else to plug.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. What's your what's your um your 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 at on Twitter?
1: Oh, it's um, Uma Wrinkle, but without the vowels and wrinkle. Because my Good. last name is Arruga, which means wrinkle in Spanish. So.
0: Oh, I didn't even know that. Okay, awesome. Yeah. I, 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 I wondered why that was your, your Twitter name, and now I get it. Okay, awesome.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you again so, so much for your time today. Um, that's, that's amazing. Thank you, Uma. Oh,
1: thanks for having me. It was
2: great. And 10 years before I saw the light of morning. A comradeship of heroes was laid From every corner of the world came sailing the 15th International Brigade They came to stand beside the Spanish people To try and stem the rising fascist tide. Franco's allies were the powerful and wealthy Frank Ryan's men came from the other side. Even the olives were bleeding as the battle for Madrid thundered on. The root in love against the force of evil. Brotherhood against the fascist land. Tonight. Bob Hillard was the Church of Ireland pastor. From Killarney crossed the Pyrenees he came. From there he came, a brave young Christian brother. Side by side they fought and died in Spain. Tommy Woods at 17 died in Cordova. The day anarchy learned to hold a gun, from Dublin to the Via del Rio, where like the Fortuny beneath a Spanish song. Fishman heard the call of Franco, joined Hitler, Mussolini too the propaganda from the pulpit and newspaper, a dog Duffy together up his crew, and the word came from the church support the Nazi. <laughs> then it lofty failed again. The bishops bless the blue shirts down in Galway As the sail beneath the swastika to Spain Fever la of Africa! No huss around the pledge that men fight Adelante is the cry of the hillside Let us remember them song is a tribute to Frank Ryan It's Conway and Denny Cody too Peter Daly, Charlie Reagan and Hugh Bonner Though many died, I can but never feel. you Danny Boyle, Blizzard Brown and Charlie Donnelly Liam Tomlinson and Jim Straney from Short Strand. Jack Nelty Tommy Patton and Frank Conroy, Jim Foley, Tony Fox and Degone. Let us remember them tonight Gonna gallog it the